Neighborhood Lab How to Create Inclusive and Thriving Communities. Hi, my name is Marcin Wojciech Żebrowski, and welcome to the newest episode of Herbcast, my podcast about urbanism, architecture, cities, and many more. How can we create more accessible, livable communities? Let's discuss the importance of the local identity and social cohesion in transforming the existing housing areas into more thriving neighborhoods. Especially by focusing on inclusive community building, we can revitalize existing neighborhoods and avoid building more and more. We are discussing the importance of this local identity and social cohesion with Ofri Aaron, who brings over 18 years of experience in neighborhood development. She shares the story behind her recent initiative, the Neighborhood Lab, aimed at creating vibrant, inclusive and sustainable communities. Ofri worked with neighborhoods as an architect, urban planner, or rather neighborhood planner, as she calls herself, but also marketing manager, project manager, and a head of living at companies such as Henning Larsen, Rumble, Architema, and Inbo Architecten in Amsterdam. According to Ofri, we don't work strategically enough with how the built environment creates the social value. And that's where Ofri sees a big role for her to play, advising developers, communities, cities as well, to bridge the gap and create more thriving communities based on the identity of different places. The background for our discussion is Copenhagen, but I think that the knowledge will be quite applicable to many different cities worldwide. Welcome to the newest show with Ofri. I think that I can just start and say, Ofri, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy that you are here. I'm very happy to be here. I was just wondering, before we start our discussion, because neighborhood is something that is very close to your heart, and this is something that you have been working with for for a long time now, but I'm always curious about the starting point. So what was this main inspiration for you to get into the topic of neighborhood and identity and how to shape it if it comes to design, architecture? What was the inspiration? I think... Professionally, I always saw myself as a sort of like a a neighborhood planner and not Mm. a city planner. But my uh, biggest uh, source of inspiration was uh, Westerbro. I was living there for 12 years. A district in Copenhagen. Yeah. I have to say that originally I come from Israel. I was living in Tel Aviv that is like considered a super livable city. Mm. I was living seven years in Amsterdam, in the center of Amsterdam, in the Jordan, if somebody knows Amsterdam, which is like a really, really nice area. But then moving to Vestibu in Copenhagen, I learned something new. Like Vestibu taught me something new. I got completely in love with Vestibu. My husband and I, we moved to an apartment of 84 square meters and then... It was a three-rooms apartment, and after one year, we welcomed our son to the family. After two and a half years, my daughter joined the family, and then we were living there, four people in 84 square meters. And like at the beginning, it was okay, but then I think 
when they were like five and three, we started to look for a new apartment. And every time we went to see a new apartment that is like one room or two rooms bigger than what we had, we came back and I looked at what we have and I thought, I'm not moving. I'm not upgrading this wonderful neighborhood for one more room. And uh, just to explain so why... Because we had like a really, really nice balcony facing west and uh, looking at our really nice uh, courtyard that was like a paradise for children. And our children were like playing there alone without parents since the age of three. And I also really loved like this uh, courtyard. Like it was, it is still (laughs) like a garden, a park, a playground, a social room to like uh, drink coffee with neighbors. It was really fantastic. And this is like... Just one thing. Then there was Litauensplatz, that is like uh, a square, two minutes uh, walk from where we were living. And this was like our local square. And we used it for like so many things, to stay, to hang out with the children after we pick them up from school, uh, to eat pizzas in the evening, and the, like the last, I don't know if you know the place, but it's where you get the last evening sun in Vestibro, yeah. to hold the birthdays for the classmates, to after the kids went to sleep, to drink beers with friends. Like all the day, like there was something you could do there. And mm. then like sometimes there are some special activities in the summer, there is a market in the... And this is just like, I have so many examples of like, you know, riding the bike in the morning and saying hi to people and like, and this like very strong feeling of belonging, of identity, of like a place that you, you go on vacation and you actually miss it. (laughs) (laughs) Or or when you come back, you realize that you actually missed it. So like, it's really like pride. And at the end, like, it's like these places and experiences and people become like extension of your home. Mm. So you, we lived very compact, but we had all vestibule. So, yeah. So what? <laughs> a love story. <laughs> a, a proper love story with Copenhagen. <laughs> and I think that this is also pretty similar to other people who moved to different cities all around the world, but also to Copenhagen, especially since this is our context. Yes, there are some factors that make a place something that we can very easily attach to. And let's just dive in into these definitions of the neighborhood and the identity. So basing on your own experience, your own thoughts and your opinion, and also the story you've just told us, what do you think a neighborhood is? I haven't really defined what neighborhood is, but I can like compare neighborhood to residential area. Mm. So a residential area is like an area with like quite high concentration of dwellings, right? It actually often like there are lots of dwellings, but it suffers a lack of local identity or social um, connectivity. And a neighborhood is like, it's more than a place to live. I just gave an example with Vestibro, yeah. that it's an identity. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. It's like almost a self-definition. This is the difference between a residential area and the neighborhood. We see many residential areas in the city. They don't mm. function as a thriving neighborhood, unfortunately. And this is what I try to advocate uh, to transform residential areas that are somehow anonymous and people live like in the city, but a little bit in more in like a suburb way that there is no mm. suburban way, that there is no connection to thriving neighborhood where there is a connection, where there is an identity. So when we look at a city, any city, Should we discuss the city as a whole, its character, its traits, its view? Or should we rather discuss a city as a a collection of different neighborhoods? 
I think a city is both a whole and a collection. Mm. Can we say something like that? Because the city has, uh, like, Copenhagen is a different city than Aarhus, that is another Danish city. Amsterdam is a different city than Utrecht, that is another Dutch city. So, like, cities are different, right? Like, they have their own identity. But I think a good way to see the city is to understand that the city is a network of neighborhoods. And mm. neighborhoods are different, and they have different characters. Some of the neighborhoods are more local. Some of them are maybe less local and more commercial. Like depends on the location of the neighborhood and like uh, the functions in the neighborhood. But yes, I think a city is a network of neighborhoods. I also think neighborhood is like, now we talked about Vestibro as a neighborhood. I think if we start studying Vestibro, we can see, and any other neighborhood, we can see that also within the neighborhood, there is a network of mini neighborhoods. Like it's like this, like kind of like big organism like that has like this network that has this network it's like it's mm. until you get to do like to a dwelling that is like you know that also is divided to rooms <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like this kind of like uh, circles of networks when I moved to Copenhagen I was lucky enough to find an apartment in a very local neighborhood which is called Islandsbrygge so this is the one that is just at the canal the main canal of Copenhagen and thanks to that I could very easily jump into the canal in the summer and swim there and see all the boats and the events. So for me, Copenhagen is definitely a city that is connected to the water. But I can also imagine that someone who is living further, especially on the west, they might not experience water at all. So Mm -hmm. I think that the way where we live and the way how we live and also the neighborhood that we end up with kind of completely sets the way we will see the city forever. So I feel like also the reason why I wanted to discuss the neighborhoods with you is because it is such a such a strong thing which influences our way of living. That's why I also wanted to discuss a bit what are your current undertakings with the neighborhood lab because this is something that you created very recently and I think that this is very interesting way of approaching cities and approaching neighborhoods especially. So could you just uh, tell us a bit more about how did you create it and what is your main goal behind it? Neighborhood Lab is a new practice that I just established. Basically, the first official day was the 1st of March, so it's uh, even not a month old uh, at this day that we are recording. And uh, the idea with the Neighborhood Lab is to help private and public developers to transform residential areas to thriving neighborhoods. This is the goal. A big one. Yeah, it's a big one. And then I can talk much more about it. Definitely. I mean, I think that it's a good moment since you just started recently to just go full on and present this whole idea and also to help you think of it in a way. How can you frame it? Yeah. And the idea of like thriving neighborhoods and like why a neighborhood, maybe I can get to this and then say a little bit more about the neighborhood lab. But the idea is that there is research that shows that neighborhood identity, neighborhood identification has positive effect on uh, our well-being. It increases well-being, it increases our sense of belonging, it reduces uh, loneliness, it helps to create social connections. So it has like many effects on our well-being. And by transforming residential areas to thriving neighborhoods, like we, we can see it as a sort of a tool to increase well-being. And this is the idea. But it's not just increasing well-being because it's like I'm also talking about transformation. Mm. So it's like this urban transformation of an area, which is like 
very crucial for the green transition and uh, the sustainable mm. agenda. But my idea is to be like even more ambitious with that and like to not to say it's just transformation, but it's like this strategic transformation. So really like understanding when we look at a site and like look at an assignment and uh, understand like what is it exactly in the site? What is the burning platform? What, mm. what is it that doesn't really work there in terms of neighborhood identity? and community building, like what is it that the place lacks? Mm. And then by understanding that, then you can like transform and revision, repurpose Mm. and repair what doesn't work, but only that. And like working very, very strategically with like the intervention that that you do, because I think this is also sustainability. Mm. Sustainability is also that we do a very precise intervention that has a large effect but minimum intervention. So th- this is the idea with the transformation. Mm. And then there is a third uh, <laughs> level uh, to it that it's also to work evidence-based, which is also like a level of sustainability because if we build something that doesn't work, it's like the worst we can do, right? Mm. Or if we transform in a way that it doesn't work. So how can we create knowledge and evidence that we know that what we do actually has the impact that we want to create. Mm. So these are like the three elements of Neighborhood Lab is the, to improve quality of life, to revitalize the existing and to work strategically and evidence-based. Mm. Super ambitious. It, it, it is super <laughs> ambitious and, uh, and, I, and I'm very happy about it. You've mentioned those small-scale interventions and their role that they play in achieving all different goals. And I, I would like to, to develop it even further because you've mentioned that it answers to different challenges and often we have those challenges on a global scale. Uh, there are a lot of global problems and I think that also like while preparing to this discussion, we also had this another discussion where, where we identified that there are so many problems that we can try to tackle with those small interventions, could you say what are the biggest global problems that those small interventions can tackle and how can we tackle those? It's a big question with a long answer, but to keep it a little bit simple, we can say that our society changed a lot, like all the time changes. But we have an aging population, which means that we get older and this aging population has some needs in relation to community, right? We also have some changing structure in families. Like in Denmark, I think by now it's almost like 50% of the Danish families that are not nuclear families. And like single parents, like it's actually a study that we did in Rambul and Henning Larsen that we listened to their housing needs and, and analyzed it. And what we heard is that they actually really have like a need for social connection and for community life. Then we also see like in Denmark and in all over the world, we see like that people are more stressed. In Denmark, it's mainly the young people between 16 and 24. People are more lonely. And in Denmark, it's mainly young women that uh, experience loneliness. What I was also really surprised to see that uh, more than 50% of the Danish population are overweight. So it's like that, that different mm. kind of social tendencies that, that the, the built environment can I really believe that the built environment can fix, mm. or may, fix is maybe a, a big word, but be a part of the solution, let's mm. call it like that. 
this is the idea of the thriving neighborhood is to give like the sense of community, is to give a sense of purpose, is to give a sense of that you are part of something and you can participate, you can contribute to it. And this can solve many of these problems that I just mentioned. I don't like to mention the COVID pandemic so often because I think it was mentioned already one million times uh, <laughs> in, in all different media podcasts and so on. But still, if you like once you just mentioned this closeness to the neighborhood, I can't stop thinking of the pandemic and the moment that we basically started to appreciate our local neighborhood a bit more. I've read, I've heard about it a lot in Denmark, in Copenhagen, but also, for example, in Poland, where I'm from, that people suddenly realize that maybe they don't need to commute or maybe that they don't want to commute that long to the other part of the city, but they can fulfill most of their needs locally. So do you think that we were a part of this global kind of awakening and appreciation towards the, the local neighborhoods or Or it's still just the very beginning of it? I think somehow the COVID both affected that we got a little bit scared from mm. being close to one another and also that we are looking for this closeness. I think it has both effects. I can say that the first lockdown in Denmark, we were still living in Vestibor. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you were the lucky one. We, we really enjoyed it because we had our courtyards and my daughter started climbing on trees like a... A monkey, like when she was bored. We were not alone. We were like with all of our neighbors and uh, it was a very strong feeling of uh, that you're not alone, which is uh, really nice. So I think uh, that the neighborhood passed the test, uh, the COVID yeah. test, definitely in my eyes. I really believe it's a tendency that is going to grow because we need more this social connectivity. And, and it's not just the social connectivity, it's also the identity. We need to be a part of something. We are so, I think people today are so disconnected and so much for their own and with their phone. And uh, like we need to have something that we belong to that mm. is bigger than ourselves. And the scale of the neighborhood is bigger enough that we don't get claustrophobic. Mm. Like it's not like living in a co-housing that you need to participate in something or contribute. Like it's a, you need to do some things in the neighborhood. It's more free, but you are part of something. So yeah, I think it's a, a tendency that is going to grow. Part of your work at the Neighborhood Lab is also to, or maybe it's the, the core thing, is to revitalize existing neighborhoods. So basically to reuse what we already have, reuse the existing city tissue. But there might be some challenges while doing that. Could you say what are the challenges that you meet the most often? Also like while you were previously working with the neighborhoods and housing and also now while you are creating new projects under the Neighborhood Lab. I have to say Neighborhood Lab is really at the beginning. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> but challenges <laughs> so, might, be, might yeah, be already there. I can talk about the challenges, but it, I think the challenges first is um, that when I talk about revitalizing the existing and transformation, like I have to have the clients that talk the same thing. And I have to say that uh, I talk about urban transformation. So for example, densifying an area in my eyes is still transformation. So it's not that nothing will be built in Neighborhood Lab, but it's more like uh, densifying existing in a clever way and transforming. But saying that, I hope that uh, within Neighborhood Lab, uh, we will also have some projects that actually really look for this clever transformation that maybe even doesn't need to be physical. Because I think that sometimes this is like a challenge that sometimes we... 
you know, we know that area has some issues and it's like area struggles to be um, like a good area to live. Then we have a developer and then we already built like 20,000 square meters because there is a developer and then like it's somehow it grows very fast because somebody needs to invest money in it. And I hope that we can become more um, like a surgeon that is doing, you know, like an operation that really understand what is the problem. Do we need to build 20,000 square meters here or can we just end up with uh, renovating one build? I don't know, like, you know, how much do we actually need to do? So this is like something that I hope to work with. And another thing that I also hope to work with is to like help developers with, I think like we don't work strategic enough with like how the built environment creates social value that we just like build and then like the social value either like somebody thinks about it or it's like, I don't know, it's, it's not strategic enough. And this is what I also ho hope to help with, to really think like what kind of social value we want to create in an area or for a developer, it can even be with like our portfolio mm. uh, generally. And then to really like think carefully, like each side, like what can we do here? Do you think it's possible to reverse that trend or this process? So basically you start with the social value might be through some temporary interventions. I know it happened worldwide, but I was curious about your own opinion. So you basically start with the social value of this intervention, and then you start thinking about the physical shape, and, and maybe this investor will not have direct and quick return on investment, but it will be kind of spread and it will be bigger in longer time. Definitely. This is exactly my idea. That I think that what I mentioned before, that we have to understand like what's the burning platform. Like I think like the process of a project should be first a thorough analysis of the site, but not like in the classic way that we used to do uh, site analysis in architecture school, but more like in level of identity and mm. neighborhood analysis. Like where is the neighborhood? Like what works? What doesn't work? And then once you understand the burning platform, then define the impact you want to create. Define the social value you want to give to the area. And once you know what's the social value, then you have to start to plan the intervention. And also to understand how far do you go with this transformation? Can you stay in a level that is not physical or mm. do you need to build? Can you just transform a building or do you need to add a new building? So like uh, both like understanding the, what the social value you want to create and also understanding what are your means in terms of transformation. And then another thing that is super important is also to evaluate the social value at the end or while in the making to see if it's really created and what needs to be done to improve it. Like maybe it needs to be fine-tuned a little bit on the way. I mean, to me, it makes perfect sense. I'm not an investor, so I don't know if I can support <laughs> you that much, especially with the with the funds. But what I mean here is that it makes complete sense to me to shake this kind of timeline a bit. So instead of just like finding a place, buying it and like making some kind of return analysis and, and then building it and selling the flats to the people, to the customers, to the future residents, you kind of make it a bit longer in the very beginning and you invest a lot of money in building all this kind of social foundation around to make the neighborhood vibrant and so on. So to me, it, it makes great sense. But I was wondering if you know an example of such a development, which basically decided to go that way. I can give an example in just one second. But I, I want to say that when I say we have to do a thorough analysis and 
it doesn't mean that the developer needs to invest lots of money. Of course, mm. there is some money invested at the beginning, okay. but we are very professional and there are some methods to do it. So you can do it quite quickly, but it's like it's not like a very, very long analysis. I think it's for the investors, it's just to like, where do you want to invest your money? Like you want, I think you need to plan your intervention in a good way instead of like fixing the mistakes you do later if you don't do it Because uh, they correctly. cost a lot as well. Yeah, exactly. So better plan it in a good way. And, and I also think like, if I may extend on this one, that one of the problems with social value is that you think, okay, like we all want a better society, but who should pay for it? Yes, and right? that's the one, $1 million dollar question or even more. <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, the developers, they all mm. want to create better society, but they don't need to pay for all of it, right? Like they don't have an endless amount of money. So like who should pay for it? And then like for me, I really tried to like understand, like to translate it to the developers, like what, what effort will make sense for the developer to pay for. And for example, what I just told the story from Vestebrou, that we were living in the same apartment of 84 square meters for 12 years. I think it's for the developers, it's very interesting because the worst thing that can happen for developers is that people move away from the area. And if like many people move away from the area, the area is not an attractive place to live. And then the prices of the apartments, they drop. Or if it's a rental apartment, nobody wants to come and rent there. The apartments will stay empty. An empty apartment is like the worst thing for developers. So like creating an area that is attractive and that is a thriving neighborhood will support it that people will make a long-term home. And this is like very good for the investors. And there are more things like also this thing that like you feel pride that you contribute to the identity creation of the area, that you keep your property in a good shape, that um, you uh, spend some money in the local area, so you support the local economy. That, like, the different things that you can say, these things actually are very good for the developers. And mm. like what is very good at the end, that like if the people that live in the area, their life satisfaction is like high and they're happy, then it's an attractive mm. place to live. And this is money. And then another thing is that the processes of like planning and uh, there is a moment that you have to like show the plan to the neighbors and they have to say if they accept it or not. Mm. And like I believe that if the developers, they present it in a way that they want to create a good neighborhood, a thriving neighborhood for the people, there would be less people that will try to stand against it. So I think there are different things that you could say a thriving neighborhood can also work with what the developer wants. It's not against. We've discussed uh, the business model a bit and the founds and, and the developer's side, but I would like to come back a bit more to the identity of a place because you've also mentioned that the Westerbro district in Copenhagen was something that attracted you for 12 years and you really, really had a had hard time living it. So what is the concept of identity in the context of neighborhoods, in your opinion? What is your understanding? I would like to refer to an article that I don't remember how it's called. We can maybe put the link. Of uh, course, we can yeah. add it to the, the, yeah. the episode description. It's an article about uh, social sustainability and I translate it to neighborhood identity. So I got really inspired by it. 
where the article says that like we have like these three elements that one element is the neighborhood which is like the physical space it's the built environment another element is it's the neighbors which are the people and better if it's a diverse group of people i say i guess they also say the same in the article but i don't remember right now and then the third element is neighboring a neighboring is the experiences it's the feelings it's the practices that take place in the neighborhood which is the place by the neighbors which are the people so like this connection between these three things the neighborhood neighboring neighbors this is the identity of a place this is like very theoretical but i think it's a super beautiful explanation and then i also like i'm developing a tool for neighborhood lab a kind of a conceptual baseline of a thriving neighborhood and this is also about like identity so like the identity of a neighborhood is divided to six elements and uh, like i showed you the tool last time we met like it's i drew it like a, a flower that like if you have like in the middle of the flower you can write neighborhood identity <laughs> and then you have like six uh, circles around it and the circles are social bonds collective purpose belonging distinctiveness becoming and responsibility and like these six elements are inspired by theory of uh, positive psychology and i think it's super interesting to talk about like what is the psychology of a thriving neighborhood it's about like social bonds it's about like social ties that we create with people and i think many people are mistaken to think that it's about community life but social bonds it's also like you know like just there is a stranger but you see this stranger every day at 7 o'clock when you wait to the bus and the stranger also waits to the bus and so you already like look at each other in the eyes cuz you all, you saw each other as well yesterday so it's like kind of like this also connection with strangers or a person in a coffee bar right or yeah. a, bar, a local barista or yeah. person who is selling flowers and so on and so on yeah this social bond it means like you look at each other like maybe even you don't say hi but like there is a, mm. the eyes are smiling something <laughs> like that <laughs> there is respect mm. acceptance but also this recognition that you kind of share some part of your life or a physical space right since you are seeing each other quite often it means that you might live just yeah. close to each other yeah So yeah. maybe it's like also this shared responsibility for for a physical yeah uh, area. and this is the, the next uh, uh, yeah. circle in the, <laughs> it, it's a, a collective purpose and this is what you share you share sort of like a collective identity a, a narrative like this feeling that we are in it together this is like the idea of collective purpose and a neighborhood that like a thriving neighborhood the idea is that it's it's, it's effortless. It's not something you do that you need to work for it and it stresses you and when will I uh, work on the identity it's not it's you just live there and by doing that you are part of this identity mm. so this is the collective purpose and then there is belonging which we all know what it means a sense of belonging but it's again it's about this feeling of acceptance and trust and like feeling belong to a place which is very very important like belonging is also important for loneliness that like we think loneliness what we need is more connection with people it's not that it's like we need to feel that we are part of something it's not necessarily active connection mm. with people right and then there is the distinctiveness that like it's a little bit funny that belonging and distinctiveness they really work together because you both want to belong but you also want to have the freedom to be different mm. and this is like the distinctiveness that you can be preserve like your own identity yeah yeah be yourself 
Mm. And if you want to color your hair green, it's like completely fine. And you will walk in the neighborhood and nobody will laugh. <laughs> <laughs> now, it wasn't a good example because like it's not such extreme, but like, yeah. I don't know, you know, like, but you know what I mean? That like, it's okay to yeah. be different. And like, there is a space for social inclusion. And then there is the becoming, which is like the ability to participate, to engage, to change, to say your opinion, to be inspired, to get inspired. And responsibility is about the resilience of the place, social, economical, environmental, and also, of course, responsibility to the planet. And there are like different studies that show that if you live in a co-housing in Denmark, at least, then a group of people living in co-housing compared to a group of people living not in co-housing, then the co-housing has a less CO2 footprint. And mm. So like, like there are different kind of like advantage, like if you somehow live closer in relation to climate. So uh, that was like an uh, imagination exercise because we've been talking about this flower uh, with uh, different parts and they, as I understand, they are equally important. So we need to just imagine like equally important pieces of an equal size. And this is still somehow a theory that you want to test. Do you already know what would be your first step in testing the, the theory and applying those principles to, to a neighborhood? I have many ideas uh, and also some possible uh, projects that I'm working with like different collaborators uh, now, but I don't have like really like uh, one uh, like uh, project that uh, we're going to, I'm going to test it. I'm uh, working together with a Patricia investor. They have a um, sustainable community fund. I'm helping them looking at uh, the social value and I hope that we can use this flower there. And also in other projects that I'm like uh, establishing now. I started to test it just with myself because I cannot wait uh, <laughs> like just to, to look. And I think it's a super important tool, but I'm like, there's still a way to go to make it more precise, bring it like more down to earth. It's still mm. a little bit uh, theoretical somehow, but I think it's, it's super interesting because like we often talk about a 15 minutes neighborhood. It's like, it became like, like read many articles about 15 minutes yeah. neighborhood recently, right? And also about the protests against the yeah. neighborhoods. Yeah, but I think the 15 minutes neighborhood is like, it's interesting, but it, it is about proximity to services and functions and uh, amenities. And But what if a residential area is monofunctional and it doesn't have the possibility to have other functions? Like the, the idea with this flower is that can we take an area that like with the functions that the area has, maybe we can bring some new functions. Maybe it's not possible. So monofunctional or almost monofunctional residential area can it become a thriving neighborhood. Yes, it can. With mm. this flower, it can because the flower doesn't demand or I don't know, like more functions. It's, it's more about the psychology and the identity. So I think it's uh, super interesting and I am looking forward to testing. And working with what's already there, as we've mentioned. So it's more about the recycling and revitalizing hmm. the existing, not building more unnecessary concrete buildings. I think that's, uh, that's also a point I like. And I'm also both happy and honored that uh, you are sharing these uh, thoughts, that you are also testing them here with me. Because as we've mentioned in the beginning, Neighborhood Lab is something that is uh, still very fresh. And it's uh, still uh, younger than a, than a month. Maybe it will be a bit older than a month once this 
episode is published, but I'm happy to be a part of this uh, of this process. So also, yeah, thanks for that. And and I think that anyone would, that is interested, I encourage you to reach out to to our free. And there's also one more thing that I would like to inspire the listeners and leave them with. And this is a recommendation. So could you recommend a book? Ideally about that topic. The book is not about neighborhoods, it's about identity. And uh, it's called uh, The Power of Us. The title is amazing. Just the title is <laughs> amazing. <laughs> but it's a really, really good book. I really recommend it. It's about identity. One of the things that I learned from the book, it's like the details of like how you can create identity, how actually we are manipulated by different things, like different identities can be activated because we don't have one identity as a person. We have many identities. So which identity is activated and when is super interesting, I think. And and more relevant to relation of, to neighborhoods, like another thing that was super interesting about the book is like this explanation that when we have an identity with other people. We create what the book calls in-group. So we all, like, as I said before, we're all in it together. We have one identity. We all have blue shirts. Like, let's say this is our identity, blue shirts. But once we have, like, all blue shirts on, we create an out-group. The people with red shirts, they don't belong. And this is, like, a kind of, like, often it's created when you create in-group there is an outgroup and it's a negative thing when you take it to uh, the urban context uh, and neighborhood context. And this is for me was like super interesting to read about it and super interesting to think. So how do you, in relation to neighborhood, for example, how do you have like so many or like different in groups, maybe in like different circles. This was also said before, like about like these networks in a network. So you always belong to one group and then another and then like, so you don't feel excluded. It's a little bit complicated, but I think it's super interesting. Thank you for sharing this. And it it was, of course, related to the topic, maybe not about neighborhood itself, but identity, which is mm. equally important uh, part of our discussion. So I wanted to thank you, Ofri, for joining, for sharing the story about the Neighborhood Lab and also sharing the interesting read after. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to the newest episode. I hope that you really enjoyed the story of Ofri. And of course, if you would like to get to know something more about Herbcast or Ofri and the Neighborhood Lab, you can find all the links in the episode description. And I think that the takeaway from this episode will be to just look around your own neighborhood and think about what is the identity of the place and what makes you love this place. And if you have any more thoughts, please feel free to reach out to both of us. Thank you for listening to the newest episode and talk to you soon.